Well, good morning, everybody. Um, a lot of times we don't normally start exactly at 1030, but since we don't have as much ability to socialize this morning, um, we'll go ahead and get started um, in just a second. Make sure everybody has a chance to get online, but I want to remind everybody that the bulletin with all the announcements was sent out earlier this week by Morris. Um, and then there's also the worship songs that um, are available that were sent out by Jessica earlier this week as well. Um, so if you don't have access to, or if you didn't get those emails, um, let Grace in the office or let somebody know and we'll try and get you on that list and get you any announcements from the bulletin this week. Um, but other than that, I will leave you to read through the announcements instead of trying to go through that myself. And then, um, like I said, we're going to get started here in just a second. All right. Well, I want to thank all of you, first of all, for making the effort to join us this morning. I know there is a lot of juggling and uncertainty with the weather, but here we are. And I can't really see your faces, but I can see names and um, little symbols. So it's good to see that much of you uh, this morning. And I hope that your Internet is connecting well and that you're staying warm and um, we're gonna enjoy this morning, despite all the things that are trying to keep us from gathering this morning. We're gonna open in prayer this morning, and we're gonna pray first for uh, Ben and Christy while they're in Colorado at their uh, counseling intensive. Um, and we're also gonna pray for the weather and travel. And um, if you're not familiar, we typically pray for another church in our community. And we're going to be praying this morning for Covenant Fellowship, which is just down the road from Crosspoint, across from Innovation First. Their pastor, Todd Barnes, and his wife, Sabrina. Um, and then we're also going to pray for a people group this, this morning, um, like we have been for a while. And we're going to be praying for Libyan Arabs. There's about 2.6 million of them um, worldwide. And within Libya itself, there's about 1.6 million. They're considered an unreached people group with about 0.1% um, Christians. And um, according to the Open Door uh, persecution ranking, Libya is ranked number four for persecutions. Um, so there's a lot to be praying for for that group. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning. We ask that you would. Um, just be with us and um, allow us to enjoy fellowship uh, despite being virtual. Lord, we want to lift up Ben and Christy as they've been um, just working through things this week. ask that you would be blessing them in this time, that you would be strengthening and encouraging them, um, that you'd be speaking through the, uh, the people they're working with, and that this would just be a a beneficial and a, a life-giving, life-restoring time for them. And two, we want to lift up just the weather and the travel. Um, thankfully, we are able to stay home and we don't have to get out. Um, we have the ability to meet virtually without traveling, but 
Lord, we know there are people who are out there traveling right now, maybe friends, family, or some of our members who are um, not currently with us online that are traveling. Or we ask for safety and protection in that. And um, just for warmth for those of us staying home, uh, and especially those in our community who don't have access to a good, warm home. Um, Lord, we want to lift them up and ask that you would be with them and that you would provide opportunities for, um, for their needs to be met. Father, too, we want to lift up um, another church in our community, Covenant Fellowship, or they're uh, just neighbors right down the road from us. And we thank you that they are being a part of your work among the community of Greenville. We ask that you would build them up um, and just speak to them through your word. I want to pray for their pastor, Todd Barnes, that you would strengthen him and encourage him um, as a pastor, but also as a husband um, with his wife, just that he would have a strong foundation in that um, that would bleed into his uh, ministry through the church that he would um, not forsake um, his responsibilities, but be able to enjoy his marriage and that that would strengthen him and encourage him as he leads and guides uh, covenant fellowship. Lord, too, we want to lift up the Libyan Arab people group. God, it's an unreached people group of 2.6 million people. And the country of Libya is very difficult to get to. And there's a high persecution there for Christians. But Lord, we know that you have taken a million of those people to other countries. Lord, we ask that you would put people in their lives that um, would speak your truth to them. Um, and we ask for strength and encouragement to radio ministries that broadcast into Libya. Uh, for television ministries that broadcast into Libya, and that you would just bless those and that you would use those to call all your people to you. For the few believers that are in, in the country of Libya, Lord, we ask that you would allow them to somehow find some fellowship with fellow believers. And Lord, too, we ask that you would stir the hearts of people, um, either in this body or somewhere in this world, and send them as your messengers to these people. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning. And we ask that you would just be with us during this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. We're going to jump right into the sermon this morning. Um, so here we go. 2020, I think we could all agree, was not an easy year. Um, the biggest thing, obviously, is the coronavirus pandemic. But I would venture to say that there was actually a second pandemic. And it wasn't really anything new. And it's not going away either. It's something that you can't get rid of with a vaccine. This other pandemic was reaching into all households, all demographics, all socioeconomic statuses. It even made its way into song lyrics, TV shows, and was a theme of society highlighted in 2020. What am I talking about? Well, studies have shown that loneliness 
has a profound effect on human health, whether that's physical, emotional, and cognitive health. It has effects on cardiovascular health and blood pressure. And over time, these effects can be cumulative and lead to early death. It can lead to personality disorders, psychosis, suicide, and even things like cognitive decline disorders like um, Alzheimer's or dementia. It can lead to depression, it can lower your immune responses, can give you low self-esteem, leave you feeling stressed, fearful, anxious, or even angry. Loneliness can cause a downward spiral and can, can, can continue to build and accumulate over time. The study that I was reading talks about how even they recognize that social interactions um, this perceived connectedness among humans serves as a scaffolding for self. And without that scaffolding, the self begins to crumble. So even this um, secular study recognizes that there's something important about loneliness. Loneliness is prevalent, pervasive, and persistent. It can be felt in isolation or when you're surrounded by people. It affects the solitary, the social, the single, the married, the popular, the outcast, the unchristian, and even the follower of Christ. The English language doesn't even have an opposite word for loneliness. It doesn't exist. There's no word that fully captures everything that goes into the idea of loneliness. It's because it's a universal feeling and it can occur in any situation. Loneliness is a problem with the human condition. Happy Valentine's Day. To be fair, the original plan wasn't to preach this message on Valentine's Day. And I think it's rather ironic that we are preaching about loneliness on Valentine's Day. And perhaps even more ironic that we're now doing this virtually. But I believe and I know that the Lord is doing something and this, this irony is something he'll be using. So this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. Turn with me if you have that available. We'll be in starting in verse 15. <clears throat> the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord 
God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Father, we just ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word, um, that you would not um, let me get in the way of what you're trying to reveal and to um, speak to this people, but that you would speak clearly through me and that um, this message, as ironic as it seems, would be a timely message for your people. Lord, we thank you uh, that you've given us your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Normally, um, we don't like to just jump into a book um, and give a little bit of context, at least, if we're going to be do, doing something standalone, like this particular sermon. Um, but the nice thing about the book of Genesis, and especially where we're at now, is there's not a lot of context, because we're literally on day six of creation. Um, but a little bit of background is that the authorship of Moses is typically ascribed to Moses. So it's written down later. But overall, the word Genesis means origin. And so it's a story of the origin of man, the origin of creation, and ultimately the origin of God's people. This particular passage is most frequently associated with marriage because it gives this picture the first ever wedding ceremony. You see man and woman made one in covenantal marriage. And as a guy who used to be known around here as single Jason Brown, I'm well aware of how hard it can be to be single. And as a relatively newlywed, I can attest to the beauty in a God-ordained covenantal marriage between God, between man and woman. But as someone who did get married later in life, there were times when the greater Christian culture and society as a whole even appeared to present this message that up until I was married, I was in some state of not goodness. And this can make it really hard for singles not to feel excluded. Now, I believe that there is a biblical case for singleness. Most notably, Paul builds on this um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I believe that singles can indeed flourish as opposed to being not good and alone. Single life doesn't just have to be you waiting for your Adam or waiting for your Eve. And if it's possible that this passage can be, uh, it's possible that this passage can be handled in such a way to present the idea that there's an inherent deficiency in singleness, and it can be unintentionally alienating or hurtful for those who are single. But this is not a sermon on singleness. And really, it's not even a sermon on loneliness. This is about something that's so much more. You see, creation to this point was good. But here we see the first instance in our Bible of something called not good. This was before the fall, before sin, before humanity had fallen short. 
So why was it not good? I think in order to understand what's being said here, we need to look at the um, corresponding creation account in Genesis chapter one. So flip a page over and we're going to look in Genesis chapter one. And before we do that, just some context with chapter one, there's some debate between chapter one and chapter two and how the account of man um, is portrayed. And that gets into the whole old earth, new earth contradictions. And, but for this morning, we're going to just take it as it says and look at chapter one as the big picture account of creation and chapter two as a detailed flashback focusing on the creation of man. <clears throat> so let's read um, Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 31. <clears throat> then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has a breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So this account of creation says that it was very good. So what's different? We looked at the chapter two account and says there was this not good. Now we look back at chapter one, also talking about the creation of man, and it says very good. So if you look at um, what's happening in chapter one, there's two distinct things we're going to look at this morning that are different from what's included in chapter two. The first is it talks about man being created in the image of God. And we're going to spend most of our time on that. And the second is this, what we call the cultural mandate, uh, the part where it starts out, be fruitful and multiply. <clears throat> so let's look back at this idea of man being created in the image of God. Here we see God is speaking in the first person plural. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's differing interpretations of what that can mean. Some people will say that the us is like a, um, an indication of royalty. However, most Christian scholars will say that that is indicative of the Trinity. And given that all three persons of the Trinity are present at creation, we're going to go with this idea. You have the creator, God, the father, the hovering spirit, and then everything being created through the son as John chapter one gives us even more detail into. So if we're going to be talking about the Trinity, we need to have a little bit of a box to work with in that. So a little overview, when we talk about the Trinity, we're talking about three distinct persons in the Trinity. They're equal in power. 
equal in glory, but they're structured with different roles. And how they interact and how they still make up the one God, I'm going to borrow some language from people that have spent far more time in this than I have. But going all the way back to 325 AD, our early church fathers used the term in the Nicene Creed to say that they're of the same essence. The New City Catechism, which Crosspoint's made available in the past and probably still has some copies available, talks about how these three persons are the same substance. And how these three persons in the same essence, the same substance, interact is a word you may have heard if you've been around for a while, um, but it's a word called perichoresis. And you could kind of loosely interpret that, interpretate that as um, like a blurry dance, like peri, something that's kind of semi not fully formed, and then choresis, which has a similar root word to choreography or dance. Um, so the idea here is that there is one God, but in that there's a mixing or there's a, an interrelations. And within that, you can see distinct persons at times. And in creation is one where you see all three persons distinctly. This creation account is also speaking about man and woman as a plural creation. It talks about um, God created man and woman. I think it's significant here that this very good account presents the creation of man as a plurality, man and woman. And it's no coincidence that it also describes humanity as image bearers of a plural God. Not plural gods, but a plural, a triune God. Whereas in chapter two, the not good account presents man, Adam, as being created alone. We see here that part of what it means that we are created in the image of God is that we are created for society in the image of a social God, or perhaps in more normal church terms, we are created for fellowship or maybe communion. Before creation, God existed in perfect society among the Trinity, interacting in covenantal love. This covenantal love is sometimes referred to as a family love. You see in John 17, the father is giving of and glorifying himself to the son through the Holy Spirit. And the son is giving of and glorifying himself to the father through the Holy Spirit. And all of this is happening in perfect fellowship in love. In this same way, through the Holy Spirit, God gave existence to the world in order that the world, that humanity might enjoy fellowship with God. This is this idea of um, family love and interaction is further developed in Genesis chapter five when it's talking about Noah. Chapter five, verse one says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Sorry, Adam, not Noah. <clears throat> when God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. So here we see this image bearing association. Male and female, he created him, the plural, male and female, and they were blessed. And he gave them, and sorry, excuse me, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man. When they were created, he named them man when they were created. 
when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own image, in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. So we're going to set that aside for a second and look at the second part. But just remember this idea of family love, covenantal love, and fellowship. The second part that's unique to chapter one is what we call the cultural mandate. And oftentimes this is just looked at from two perspectives. The idea of man having dominion over creation and the idea of being fruitful and multiplying, which is great. It is absolutely is a reflection of God to have dominion over creation and to have structure and order. It's also a reflection of God to be fruitful and multiplying. Our God is a creator God. But what we see here is it's even more so, or at least also a reflection of God to have flourishing society among our fellow image bearers. We're being commanded here to multiply in order that society, that love, that compassion and diversity may thrive and bear the image of God. How we view our God informs our ideal and shapes our worldview. We call it the cultural mandate because in it we are commanded to and instructed how to create culture. Now, this doctrine of the Trinity is considered one of the most unique doctrines of Christianity. Other monotheistic religions look at their God as a what's called a monad, like something that's solely singular, just a solely singular, like a rock. Um, and with that, their God has no society, no diversity, can't express emotion in and of himself. And so their ideals, their worldviews, don't reflect that or doesn't include that. If you look at like um, Judaism or Islam, they have biblical basis that they can leverage off of laws and ideas um, from the Old Testament. <clears throat> but their ideals don't reflect the essence of their God. Love and society cannot exist as a reflection of a monad God. Buddhism is a little similar in that their ideal becomes a complete freedom of self, essentially creating one giant oneness. And so if you have a solely, solely singular God or ideal, your ideal can't reflect society or love, compassion, or diversity. And a worldview on the basis of a God like that, or an ideal like that, is gonna find it hard to deal with things because there's no foundation in your ultimate ideal. It's gonna be something that's man contrived, not derived from your God. Polytheistic societies, on the other hand, they do have society among their deities, but that usually includes corruption and fighting and some sort of unequal hierarchy. Think about like the Greek gods. They're always fighting, trying to one-up each other and deceive one another to gain something for themselves. Or think about like in Hinduism, the idea of unequal hierarchy 
exists in their deities and is reflected in their society, which is why the caste system in India is so ingrained and so pertinent to their society. A worldview or a representative ideal from that perspective cannot go beyond corruption, fighting, and inequality. But as Christians, our worldview, our society, our ethics, our morals are exhibited in the triune society of God. Our ideal is our God, to be with our God. So our worldview reflects our God. In the garden, creation was good. And upon completion with the creation of man, it was very good. But it was not good for man to be alone. As an image bearer, man was created to be in perfect society, not just with God, but with each other. We see this in chapter 2, verse 22, that woman was created out of man from his rib, not out of dirt like everything else that had been created, but because of their uniqueness as image bearers, woman was created of the same essence, the same substance as man. What's man's response? What we call the first marriage song. He's like, finally, finally, I have someone who's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, someone of the same essence as me. Now I, as an image bearer, can finally reflect this image of the social triune God that I was meant to, because I can have fellowship among someone of the same essence as me. This idea is reinforced by the picture of the first wedding. You see man and woman become one as a reflection of this perichoresis we talked about earlier. In this case, you see two distinct humans of the same essence as image bearers bound together in covenantal love and that exists in perfect society. Now, that's not to say that God ever became one or that the um, distinctions from one man to another man is the same as the distinctions between the Trinity. But that is why marriage is such a beautiful illustration of God. And this too reveals that society among man is essential to our role as image bearers. Now this, this is very good. Humanity is created as a social being in the image of a social triune God. We see this at the end in chapter 20 or chapter two, verse 25. It says that they were not ashamed because society before the fall was perfect. It was intimate and it was fearlessly vulnerable. If only we could just end the story right there, right? It's very good. Perfect society among God and man and among man and man. No shame. Yes, please sign me up. Let's go. Chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Uh-oh. You see, he deceived man, telling Eve that the fruit was good to eat, that it would make her like God. Eve was already created in the image, in the likeness of God. What more could she want? She was deceived to believe that man's perfect society with God was imbalanced, that God was withholding. 
She wanted to be like God, not in the likeness of God. So was God withholding? Creation up to this point was very good. There was no evil to be known. In order to know evil, it had to be learned experientially. God's command was not to withhold, but to prevent the one thing that would disrupt man from bearing the image of God. There's no evil among the society of our triune God. Man's experiential learning of evil introduced disobedience into the society between God and man. Disobedience, sin, evil, it now existed between man and God. And God, being infinitely holy, cannot maintain perfect society where evil exists because there's no evil in God's perfect society. Therefore, immediately, man experienced shame, broken society with God, and he hid from fellowship with the triune perfect society of God. Vulnerability and intimacy became scary, unnatural, and hard. God shows up on scene and he says, what have you done? Essentially, he's coming on and saying, this is not good. For now, you are alone. You're hiding from me. Secondarily, man experienced broken society between man and man. As Adam turned around and blamed Eve. Literally, like just a few verses before he was singing about her. What are you doing now, Adam? Is this not the same one that you're singing about? but he's quick to throw her under the bus. But after all that, God had to take action. He removed man from his eternal perfect society and deprived him of the tree of life because perfect society with God that's free of sin is eternal. And so with, with sin, death entered. But there's additional punishment too. Even the idea, the act of building society is now hard. You have a societal man who's being cast out and confined to this corporeal society and subjected to hardship and strife in order to maintain it. Multiplication, procreation, being fruitful and multiplying is now going to be hard and painful. Building society is going to hurt. Man is forced to reckon with weakness and shame. Even simple sustenance of putting food on the table is going to be hard, and man's going to toil because the ground resists. And to this day, we experience, as chapter 3 tells us, we experience enmity between the descendants of the serpent, those covenant breakers, and the descendants of Eve, the repentant covenant keepers who recognize the supremacy of God. But God... He preserved society among humanity because he knew that we needed it. He knew we were created for that. You see, immediately after that, God provides clothing for man so that man may still dwell among man without shame. And despite all those consequences, God still enabled and blessed man's work of being fruitful and multiplying. And this idea of preserving society is a theme throughout our Bible. You see, just shortly after that, the, the story of Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother 
that's pretty bad. Talk about a breaking of society. Like Abel's dead, like six feet underground, dead. No more fellowship. And his punishment is that he's, that Cain is being, he, he's made a fugitive and a wanderer. He's further cut off from God, even further cut off from the ground. He comes to God and he says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Even if I come near somebody else, they're going to punish, they're going to try and kill me because my punishment affects them as well. And God says, not so. He gives Cain a mark so that he can still interact with people without being killed. He, he has protection to have society. And God still then goes on to give him a family. He didn't deserve a family, but God gives him one. Fast forward a little bit to the time of Noah. It's bad. Talk about corruption. Everybody was bad. Every thought, every intention, every inclination of man's heart was only evil continually. Bad. But in that, God finds one person, Noah, who, count, who he counts as righteous. And when God's giving Noah instructions to put people or to put the animals on the ark, God also tells him, take your whole family with you. It's not recorded that God counted his family as righteous, just Noah. But God provided for Noah because he knew that Noah needed that society, that fellowship, that family love. God also tells Noah to take extra animals of these clean animals. And when the flood subsides, God instructs Noah to take those animals and make a sacrifice. And in that sacrifice, God enters into a covenant with Noah, saying, one, I'm not going to destroy the earth again like that. Two, he reiterates the cultural mandate of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. And in that, he adds a line about that man shall not kill man because God made man in his image. This idea of the sacrificial system is first introduced here, that there's some option, opportunity for man to have some fellowship, some society with God. By the time you see Abraham come on scene, God's further developing this idea of not just society among man and man, but society between God and man. God calls Abraham and creates out of him a people for himself, a society in which God chooses to dwell, a set-apart group of people that God preserved, not just for their society, but that there also may be society between God and man in an everlasting covenant. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. <clears throat> this idea continues when you see um, like the development of the law and the sacrificial system. This idea is presented through the law of how man should live rightly with man. And the details on the sacrificial system are laid out so that man can have an opportunity to um, provide the sacrifice to God and have a relationship with God, like some sort of connection to God. 
And it's once they're in the wilderness, you see them build, um, God gives them instructions to build the tabernacle where God comes down and dwells again among his people. And later during Solomon's time, they build the temple where God again dwells among his people or continues to dwell among his people. But this dwelling is still separate, divided by a physical wall or curtain and a spiritual wall. And it's lacking intimacy that was present in the garden. But our God doesn't just preserve, he redeems. See, God's triune nature determines not just how he interrelates within himself, but also how he interacts with creation. Fellowship is so important to God that it moved him to share his pleasure in himself in creation when he created man. And two, it pleased him to give himself to redeem that fellowship with man. Enter Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In the person of Christ, God once again was in perfect society, perfect unity between humanity and God. Jesus was fully God, fully man. Jesus fulfills what Adam could not and restores what Adam lost. He redeems humanity in order that God, he redeems humanity in order that God may again dwell rightly with man. And in that, he also repairs the relationship that was broken between man and man. In the same pattern of creation, through the Holy Spirit, we are being recreated in order that we might enjoy fellowship with God and enjoy his glory. Paul lays this out very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. And he talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 how man was cut off from God. And Jesus repairs that and restores that, redeems that relationship. But two, man was cut off from man. He talks about what we're talking about. In particular, he's talking about the division between Jews and Gentiles. But what he's talking about further is just that man was broken. And that that's been redeemed. So let's take a look in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse... Start in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both have access in the spirit to the father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you who are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see what's happening here? Paul's talking about how man is being made right. The relationship between God and man has been restored. We can now draw near. We, there is a dwelling place among man for God. But do you see what's really happening here? He's using Trinitarian language. Let's look at this again. In Christ, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. You see his sinless life, death, and resurrection has reconciled us to God, brought us near, that in him we have access in the spirit to the Father and are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. In Christ, in the spirit, to the Father, a dwelling place for God by the spirit. This is Trinitarian language here. You see what's happening. He's pointing back to the garden. And what we can do in this, what we can do with this, is we can understand and experience that our ideal future society that we base our worldview on can be experienced now. Maybe not to the fullest, but in the fellowship of the church, a dwelling place for God, we can experience redeemed fellowship with God and with man. Christ too is called the church as his bride, restoring this covenantal love relationship between God and man and this idea of marriage level intimacy between God and man. What was missing before when God was dwelling in the temple and the tabernacle so what do we do with this? Christ, too, in John 17, he prays that we may be one, just like Christ and the Father are one. And this oneness is unity, not necessarily unity and uniformity. Because Adam and Eve were presented as a plurality of creation. But they weren't just carbon copies of each other. And what we experience in the day-to-day -day is that people are still hard. Society, fellowship is hard as a result of the fall. We saw this in chapter 3. But what if we actually see people as fellow image bearers? Maybe. Maybe we'll start to see that those things that drive us crazy, that you're not like me and you don't do this the way I would have done it, that's hard. Maybe we'll start to see that those are actually beautiful facets of a diverse people of God that reflect the diversity in the Trinity. And maybe then we too can sing with Adam and say that you, my fellow church member, are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, the same essence of me as an image bearer of our God. Because the people of God are worth it. If fellowship was so important to God that he would give himself to redeem that fellowship with man, it had better be important to us. God created man to be a social being and reflect a social God. We ought to prioritize and enjoy fellowship 
in socializing and communion among the people of God. You know, maybe this is a sermon on singleness after all. Talking about spiritual singleness. We can all say over the past year, especially so, we have felt the strain of loneliness. We've been stuck at home, like this morning. We've had events canceled. We've had virtual school, virtual birthdays, virtual everything, even virtual church. It's hard. I miss not being in fellowship with all of you this morning. Your beautiful faces are hiding behind screens. But it's important to have that fellowship with each and every one of you. It is not good for us to do this alone. But God has provided a people fit for us. We are created to be in society, in fellowship with God and with man. And this is uniquely so when those two come together in the fellowship among the people of God, the church, the in-person, the local church, the incarnate church. And I know some of you on mornings like this, especially, have real needs to make it hard to be in person. None of us are in person today. But know that we would love to be in person with you. And for those of you who haven't been able to be in person with us recently, we miss you and we love you. As Ben said a couple of weeks ago, the devil is busy on Sunday mornings, whether that's screaming children or a blizzard. He doesn't want us to gather together and experience that that we've lost from the garden. But we're trying hard. We made this morning work. I hope it's working for you. I hope you have the ability to see this so that when we come together next week or whenever, we can enjoy each other. And if you don't have a church home, or if you've been visiting for a while, we desire that you find that people and that you claim that people as your own so that you can take them and sing, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I am with these people as a fellow image bearer. Find that local body, even if it's not with Crosspoint. And in that local body, build those deep, intimate vulnerable relationships that move you towards God and others. Crosspoint, you are beautiful, broken people. We know that God is making us fit for one another and fit for our bridegroom. Father, you are so, so good. Lord, we thank you that you don't just punish, that you preserve, but not that you just preserve, that you redeem. Father, we thank you that we can enjoy fellowship with you. And we thank you that you have made a people fit for us. Lord, I ask that 
as a church that we would not neglect to meet together, that we would come together and enjoy these deep, intimate relationships that you have provided to us. And that together, we would enjoy what we have now and hope for the culmination of that full fellowship in the coming day. We thank you and we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. I think Bill is going to lead us in the supper this morning. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Uh, yes, for the supper, uh, if you have your elements ready, uh, please get them ready. Uh, I wanted to uh, read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, the body of Christ, take and eat. The cup, take and drink. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus instituted the, the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and we do it throughout church history to remember him, to remember what he did for us, the price he paid, and the, the privileges we now enjoy uh, as believers, as, re as reconciled people to you, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for all you do for us and for the blessings of this day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to say one thing before uh, I close with a benediction. Uh, keep your eyes open on your emails this week because uh, we're supposed to get another snowstorm on Wednesday. So it's very likely uh, with the temperatures uh, being what they are, there's not going to be really any melting of the snow and ice uh, uh, that we're getting today. Uh, probably it'll hang around. The uh, weatherman is saying that it'll probably hang around, and what we get on Wednesday will just be added on to it. So very likely there won't be anything going on on Wednesday evening here at the at Cross Point campus. So uh, just keep your eyes open for the email uh, to either confirm that or if things somehow don't turn out the way the weatherman's saying, then uh, maybe there will be. Uh, right now, it doesn't look like it. So uh, uh, hopefully everyone will be safe. Uh, take care on the roads if you have to get out. And uh, we will uh, hopefully be all back together with each other again next Sunday. So let me uh, close us with a benediction. 
Okay, from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you.